Nehemiah chapter 5, if you'd like to be finding that. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and our vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and through our, though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest? So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what are you doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the approach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more of, from them. We will do as you say. <coughs> then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. <clears throat> At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors preceding me placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them, in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like this. Instead, I devoted myself to to the work on his wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not require any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each one, each, each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, 
because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, do keep that passage open. My parents are very involved in their local church. One of their fellow leaders is a retired minister of about 70 years of age. The retired minister said to my parents, it's a wonder that I'm still going on with the Lord after all the rubbish I've seen in church life. What did he mean by that? He meant that he's seen so much internal division in church life that it's a wonder, it's a mark of the grace of God that he's not given up on being a Christian. The church in the UK doesn't face great hostility from outside. We don't face state-sponsored persecution. Most of the troubles we face, we inflict on ourselves through internal division. My parents' previous church recently imploded. It split four ways. There are now four small churches meeting where previously there was one medium-sized church. When I was growing up in Bridgend, we saw several church splits. There was one flourishing Elim Pentecostal church that then split and split several times over. We're very privileged to belong to such a united church But we shouldn't be complacent or take our unity for granted. Here in Nehemiah 5, the work of God is hindered by internal division, from division within the people of God. Remember the story so far. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the Persian emperor Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is released from his employment to come to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. Nehemiah successfully faces down external opposition. His workers rebuild the walls with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. They successfully rebuild the walls despite facing violence from other people groups. Violence from outside the people of God. But now today, Nehemiah has to deal with internal opposition. Friendly fire. Nehemiah's problem, Nehemiah's solution, and Nehemiah's example. Firstly, Nehemiah's problem, verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised the great outcry against their fellow Jews. Why is there such division between fellow Jews? Why is there such division amongst God's people? Verse 2, some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain." So it seems there was a bad harvest, plus the men of the families were all busy 
rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and therefore not able to do their usual work, which would have enabled them to feed their families. Verse 3, others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. So food has become very expensive. The men had lost income through rebuilding the walls. They were now mortgaging their homes and land to pay for grain during the famine. The chief executive of Tesco was in the media last week warning that food prices are likely to go up by 5% this spring. That's bad enough. But we're not having to face remortgaging our homes, most of us. But for the most vulnerable in our community, this rise could mean real hardship. So there's been a famine. The men are not doing their usual paid work. Grain prices are sky high. Plus, the emperor Artaxerxes imposes a swinging tax on the people. Again, this is very current. There's been much discussion of the cost of living crisis in this country and whether the government should go ahead with the planned rise in national income tax, national insurance. Well, the people of God were being very heavily taxed by Artaxerxes. Verse 4. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. It is a nightmare scenario when you have to borrow just to pay living expenses. And so desperate are God's people. Not only are they mortgaging their homes, they're selling their children into slavery. Things have not got that bad for us. Verse 5. Although we're of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we've had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. That's how bad things have got. People are selling their children into slavery to their fellow Jews. And all of this, verse 6, makes Nehemiah very angry. He's very angry because the poor are being exploited by the rich. He's angry because the Jews are making slaves of their own people. All of this is expressly forbidden in God's law. In Amos 2, the reason God's people are sent into exile in Babylon in the first place The reason why the walls of the city were broken down was Amos 2 verse 6. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy 
for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. The Jewish people were exploiting the poor. Therefore, God allowed them to be defeated by the Babylonians. The people were carried off into exile and the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. When all the time, God had prohibited the exploitation of the poor in his law. In Leviticus 25, God proclaims a year of jubilee. Every 50th year. And in the year of jubilee, every slave was set free. Everyone who had lost property through poverty had their property restored to them. God would not permit the exploitation of the poor. God says in Leviticus 25.17, Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. It was also against the law to lend money for interest to a fellow Jew. And it was illegal to sell a fellow Jew into slavery. So you can see why the exploitation of the poor in Nehemiah 5 makes Nehemiah very angry. And I think we can say God gets angry when the poor are exploited today. So there's Nehemiah's problem. Secondly, let's look at Nehemiah's solution. He gets angry, but he doesn't lose his temper. This is a settled hostility to injustice, rather than a flying off the handle. Verse 7, I pondered those charges in my mind. He doesn't just fly off the handle. He doesn't just fire off an email. Nehemiah ponders the issues. He thinks things over. And then, when he's come to a settled position, maybe he's slept on the issue, verse 7, then he accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. What are you doing? How can you be so cruel? How can you flagrantly disobey God's law? God may well ask some of us that kind of question. How can you flagrantly disobey God's law? Maybe that is a warning to some here today. Well, what is Nehemiah going to do about it? Verse 7c. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people 
only for them to be sold back to us. What you are doing is not right, verse 9. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Is that a word for any here this morning? The way you are living is not right. Shouldn't you fear God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the key to blessing. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Psalm 34, 7 and 9. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Okay, says Nehemiah, some of us have been lending money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. End of verse 10. And then verse 12. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. So Nehemiah summons the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. And then Nehemiah performs a prophetic act, verse 13. He shakes out the folds of his robe. In other words, he shakes out the equivalent of his pockets. When I was a boy, I used to go to tea at my grandparents' house. And after tea, one of us would always shake out the tablecloth over the fish pond in the garden so the fish could eat the crumbs from our tea table. Well, in a similar way, Nehemiah shakes out his robe and he says, verse 13b, in this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. If the Jews don't love one another and stop exploiting one another, if anyone continues to enslave a fellow Jew or charges them interest, may they be shaken out of their house. In other words, live for God, fear God, and be blessed. Or, disobey God and be cursed. That's the basic choice before all of us. Blessing or cursing. Those who are in Christ are blessed. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 If you are in Christ, if you love him, if you're trusting him, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. No spiritual blessing is denied you. But if we reject Christ, we're like the items being shaken out of Nehemiah's robe. We're like the crumbs falling from the tablecloth to be eaten by the fish. We're under God's curse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Deuteronomy 27, 26, quoted by Paul in Galatians 3.10. Think about that. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. How do you and I measure up to that? We must keep all God's laws perfectly if we want to escape God's curse. Surely God doesn't expect that. He does. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Everything. It's no good saying, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than average. The judgment of God comes back on that. Cursed. To be cursed by God means to have God turn his face away from us. And for God ultimately to send us to hell. But Paul continues in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. Jesus took our place when he died on the cross. Jesus took the curse of God. The wrath of God. The righteous anger of God which we deserve. Jesus became a curse for us. Jesus was cursed by his Father so that we might be blessed. Well, back in Nehemiah 5, when Nehemiah enacts the blessing and cursing of God, verse 13c, at this, the whole assembly said, Amen! And praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. We'd call this a revival situation. Nehemiah preaches God's word. The people are cut to the heart. They repent of their sins. And they commit themselves to loving and following God. 
I wonder, is this the way we respond to God's word when we hear it preached on a Sunday or study it in a group or alone? Do we allow it to cut us to the heart? Or are we listening academically? Or worse still, thinking of how it applies to someone else? Will we allow God's word to cut us to the heart? And will we respond in repentance and commitment? This is what needs to happen in our society in general. Here in Nehemiah 5, it's a remarkable scene when the whole population responds in this way. We would call this a revival situation. How we need men and women, boys and girls, who will speak God's word to friends, to families, to colleagues, to neighbours, to those we meet. And then we need God to fall on the word and to bless it and to turn people back to himself. What can we do to ensure that there's a revival like that in our day? What can we do to make this happen? Ultimately, God is sovereign. He decides whether we see revival or not. But what you and I can do to bring about revival is pray. Come and pray. We pray at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. At 20 to 6 on a Sunday evening. Come to the prayer meetings once a month. Is there anything that's so important that you can't come and pray? We desperately need God to come by his spirit. We desperately need him. Our society is heading for hell unless there's a revival. Will you come and pray? Will you pray on your own? Will you make yourself available to share the gospel with others? Prayer and evangelism go together. Prayer and action go together. So we've seen Nehemiah's problem. We've seen Nehemiah's solution. And thirdly now, Nehemiah's example, verse 14. From the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. So the emperor imposed taxation on the people. 
but the local governor also had the right to tax the people. Nehemiah never took advantage of this right. He never charged the people for his services as governor. Verse 15. Those who preceded Nehemiah placed a heavy burden on the people, both financial taxation and a levy of food and wine. Nehemiah shows us a more excellent way. Nehemiah merely serves. He's not in it for the money. Verse 15c. Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. We did not acquire any land. Verse 16. We simply worked, says Nehemiah. Nehemiah and his men built up the walls of Jerusalem. At the same time, verse 17, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. Nehemiah feeds all his team from his own pocket. Each day they slaughtered an ox, six choice sheep, poultry, wine of all kinds was served. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Nehemiah cares about the people he leads. He doesn't want to exploit them. He can see they're already paying enough tax. And so Nehemiah can say, Remember me with favour, my God for all I have done for these people. Nehemiah is a servant leader. He's a model to all of us. Where are you a leader? In your family? In the workplace? In church? God calls us all to be servant leaders, just like Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a picture of Jesus. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember the great Graham Kendrick hymn? the servant king. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. Just as Nehemiah left the comfort of the palace in Susa, so Philippians 2, 5 to 11 tells us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself 
nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Nehemiah left us an example to follow, but that was nothing compared to the example of Jesus who gave up all the glory of heaven to come and to die for us. Isn't Christ wonderful? Don't you love him? Don't you want to live for him? Don't you want others to come to know him? We began this sermon by thinking about the ways in which we can spoil the Christian life for one another. We can be divided and unloving towards one another. It doesn't have to be that way. Nehemiah calls on God's people not to exploit one another, but rather to love one another. We too should fear God and love one another because we follow a Savior who gave up everything out of love for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you gave the Lord Jesus, of whom Nehemiah is a picture. Thank you that you gave Jesus not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, grant that each one of us might be ransomed by Jesus, might know that we've been saved from your curse for your blessing. And grant us, Lord, to love one another, to serve one another, just as Nehemiah loves and serves the people. Help us, Lord, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.